Hello, friends, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for all of us looking for faith and spirituality outside the walls and fences of institutional Christianity. And speaking of outside the walls, this episode, we're doing literally just that. My co-host Brad Davis and I sat down with Reverend Corey Turnpenny, pastor of Church in the Wild, an outdoor-based faith community in upstate New York. Uh, And by the way, I accidentally referred to it as Church of the Wild a couple times in the interview, and so I want to apologize to Corey and her community up front for for just getting that wrong. Uh, But Corey has a fascinating story about how Church in the Wild came to be how their non-traditional worship services emerge out of their very specific context, and how they view themselves as a community dedicated to helping other people in their neighborhoods thrive. Please join me in giving a warm Accidental Tomatoes welcome to Corey Turnpenny. To me, I think it's probably a lot like ancient worship was, or like I've experienced other traditions where people are sort of taking care of what they need to do. They might get up and walk over closer to the lake or lay down in the grass. You know, people are just doing what their bodies and spirits need. Well, hi there, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. And we've got a treat for y'all today. Uh, But before we get to that, Brad Davis is back in the co-host chair. Brad, how are things down in the free state of MacDowell? Joe, things are still free down here. What's up? <laughs> MacDowell County, West Virginia, home of Brad Davis, the Gustavo Gutierrez of the Coalfields, um, just making things happen there. Brad, thanks for joining us uh, for this episode. I'm excited. Uh, are you Are you stoked for our guest today? I am very stoked for our guest today. It is exciting well, to have Corey with us. It is. Let's not keep Corey waiting. Corey Turnpenny is our guest today. Corey is the pastor of Church of the Wild in Windsor, New York, and it is one of the most fascinating stories um, going on in in church world, at least in in United Methodist world where where we all reside. Um, one of the most exciting things happening that I've seen. Corey, welcome to Accidental Tomatoes. Okay. So grateful to have you here today. Yeah, thanks so much. You doing okay? Yeah, doing good. Good, good, good. Well, welcome to the podcast. We're again, we're excited to have you with us. Um, so, why don't you just um, before we kind of get into the meat of everything, would you mind just taking a second to introduce yourself to the folks, and then we'll take it from there. Sure. Well, as you said, I'm Corey Turnpenny. I'm an ordained elder in the UMC, and I've been been doing church work for about a decade (laughs) and um it was about two years ago that I started work on church in the wild and we're coming up on our our two-year anniversary to celebrate weekly worship so we we obviously started laying the groundwork a few months in advance and then yeah, in uh, June of 2021, we launched weekly worship. So coming up on two years, feeling wow. pretty good about that. And yeah. <laughs> that we're still here because a lot of church plants don't make it to that point. And I, I'm yeah. very realistic about 
you know, the possibilities before <laughs> us are are varied, but we're doing the thing and it's it's uh, it's great. It's amazing. You, you are doing the thing indeed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think, Corey, I think you and I first kind of encountered each other during the pandemic, yeah. um, during a bunch of like Zoom webinars and stuff that people were putting on for those of us who were trying to innovate, right, in the in the church space um, back in 2020. And, and so you hadn't launched yet, but you were working on Church of the Wild back then, right? So it, it was in the works for a while before you launched in 2021. Yeah. Can you tell us kind of what that process looked like and and you know why did you choose what you chose <laughs> as a way of um of starting a new faith community sure well we can go way back then okay um, yeah <laughs> to the before times 2019 <laughs> is actually um in may of 2019 i attended the um um next umc next conference that mm-hmm. adam hamilton pulled together <laughs> out there at his church uh, just to dream about what the future of the UMC could be, you know, gathered centrists and progressives to say, you know, we're on the verge of our schism at that point. Um, It seemed imminent, right? In 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, we went to that conference and it was on my way home. So after this several days of sort of dreaming of the future, I was driving home late at night from the airport, just sort of arguing with God about <laughs> like we do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> about like my future in the UMC. And mm. I had been at my traditional, you know, small rural church for uh six or seven years at that point. And, you know, knowing that that won't last forever. And and starting to feel the sense of, you know, being ready to move in a couple of years, but just feeling like, where would I go? You know, like we're we're really committed to our area, but there are no churches that I was aware of that I would feel like I could be my authentic self Mm, in those places. And that's really where I was starting to feel some friction in that I loved the people at the church I was at, you know, we had done a lot of great ministry together and yet (laughs) there was only so far I could push until a lot of the folks there would just sort of stop hearing me and and be angry. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, You know, they were an older church and, and a lot of what I was thinking and feeling just wouldn't, wouldn't sit well with them. Mm, Uh, So I didn't feel super authentic in my ministry. And I was kind of complaining about this, like, where would I go? What, what can I do? And that's when it felt like the spirit was like, well, you know, you could start your own church. This this very sarcastic spirit suggestion. (laughs) I was like, no, no, not doing that. I'm not a church planter. I have no desire to be a workaholic. I don't have a wife at home. I cannot spend 80 hours a week, like building a church. Um, but the, the idea wouldn't leave me alone. And it, it sort of tumbled around in my brain for a month or so. And I kept having ideas and they were all terrible. 
Like as soon as I would have the idea, I'd be like, no, that's awful. <laughs> um, so that, that went on for, for about a month. And then I was with my clergy covenant group um, of fellow younger clergy in our conference. And I just, it was like, I heard myself say, I just want to be the pastor at Sky Lake. And as soon as I said that, it, it was like the spirit was like, there you go. That's, wow. what, that's what you needed to land on. And so Sky Lake is the camp and retreat center that I grew up attending as a kid. And then I worked there for five summers in college and I keep going back. You know, I was a few hours away for a while in seminary and whatnot, and then was appointed back in this region. So um, have been going back every summer to lead one week of camp and all that. And so when I heard myself say those words, I realized yeah, we could do that. You know, there's all these new faith communities, as we call them in our conference, that mm. are meeting in all kinds of places. Why why couldn't we meet at Sky Lake? And we could be outdoors. We could, you know, all of a sudden, all the ideas started coming. We could focus on creation care, which was like one of my main passions in life is environmentalism. <laughs> so it all just started making sense and all these ideas started flowing. And at that point I just held on for the ride. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's how we, that's how the seed was planted. I started having conversations with somebody who was excited and they'd tell me the next person to talk to. And it was just like this, this chain effect of, of building a team. So we got people together and started just thinking about what could, what could this be? You know, what, who do we want to be as a new community? So we laid the foundation of, of like our core values and our mission. And like we workshopped our name and all of that. We didn't, we didn't start thinking about what it was going to look like. We didn't start thinking about worship. We just, said who do we want to be and and what kind of things might we do you know we just start we sort of brainstormed and then our last meeting with that group of like the planting team was march 15th of 2020 oh wow <laughs> the last thing i did with other people wow and we had planned to take a break then anyway because i was about to have a baby <laughs> So we met as things were just starting to shut down. We were like, this is weird. What's going to happen? Well, we're going to take a break anyway. So we'll regroup in a few months and see. And then obviously by May or June, when I reached back out to all of the people on that team, the world had completely changed in a few yeah. months. So I touched base with everybody and said, what do you think? Do you still want to do this? Is this? Does it still make sense? And everybody said it makes more sense now than ever. Yeah, you know yeah. we need to. We need we need some way of getting off our screens and getting you know being outdoors is safer and all that. And a few folks said, but I have to step back. You know, not everybody uh, continued in that leadership role, right. but enough people did that we we forged ahead. 
we did like our conferences, new church start workshop for people who are doing that, which is great timing. And then we went public on online and just said, hey, we're a thing, we exist uh, with a website, and, <laughs> you know, social media presence. And so we started building community as best we could, doing online virtual stuff. And then it was about May, April, I think of 2021 that we did our first thing in person, which was service work. We met up at a community garden and, and helped expand it. You know? nice. So we started there and then by June, we launched weekly worship. And I was doing all of that while still serving the church I had been at. Oh my. It was really gracious of them. You know, they knew that this call had been placed on my heart and and allowed me to have some space to do that work. And and then I said, I I need to try to see if this will work full time. Mm. So we parted ways and <laughs> and I went into the wild and I've been loving That's it so ever cool. since. That's so but cool. both li- literally and figuratively yes. went into the wild. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Now, do, do I remember right? Because we were all, all three of us were at the UMC League conference together um, in Asheville um, several weeks ago. And do I remember right that you said um, that somewhere along the line there as you were sort of developing this idea for um for a worshiping community faith community at skylight that you um you got connected with the wild church network is that right yeah so pretty early on we discovered this isn't our own idea lots of other people isn't that amazing like when you realize yeah yeah. you know we thought we came up with this new thing which was actually a relief it was like oh my gosh other people are doing this too and and so I really, it was it was a relief at first, and then I dug in and started making connections and found out that really nobody that I could find at that time was doing it full time. It was mm. sort of like a once a month or, you know, part of a existing church kind of thing. And I remember asking, like, well, is there anyone, you know, doing doing this as their full-time like being paid ministry and they're all like oh wow good luck (laughs) like oh okay (laughs) but I did eventually find um in Colorado there is a UMC called the land which meets out on the prairie under these really cool tents um and I connected with is it like burning man for Methodists (laughs) I mean (laughs) That would be amazing. What right. an amazing new idea. New idea. <laughs> yes. I love it. Um, yeah. They, they, and they have been around for about seven or eight years now. So they were farther down this path than, than a lot of other people. So yeah. I connected with their pastor and learned a lot. Stephanie Price was super, super gracious and helpful to us and it was just so cool to be able to have examples and and know that other people were doing this new wild thing mm. one of the things that um that you talked about at lead 
um, that I think seems like it's really core to, to the identity of Church in the Wild is this idea of a theology of the land, right? Um, so what, is, what does that look like for your community and how does that or does it play into like your, your um, liturgical practices, your rhythms of worship? What does all of that look like? Mm, yeah, it's very important. We, as we were starting out, sort of laying our foundation of, of who we wanted to be as a community, we talked about the importance of place and how so often, you know, like in a book where the the setting becomes another character. Mm, yeah. Like I think of Harry Potter and Hogwarts, right? Was its yeah, own yeah, yeah. entity. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so we talked about that with Sky Lake. I mean, this has been a camp and retreat center since 1947. And I can't, I, I it's probably more people than I could count. <laughs> who feel a soul connection to that place, mm. who went there even for just one week. And they will hear that we meet at Sky Lake and they'll say, I was there once. It was amazing. Oh, nice. You know, I didn't know it was so close. Like as a kid, they, you know, it felt so far away out in the woods and they didn't realize <laughs> it's only 30 minutes from where they live now. <laughs> so the identity of this place was really important for us to talk about. We had people, you know, who had been coming there all their lives. And then we had people who were coming there for the first time as part of our planting team. And, and just figuring out, you know, the different perspectives and I, and connections to the place and talking about the history of it um, and how it was brought into um, the Methodist fold by um, a female clergywoman in the 40s. First, mm. So really cool. That is very, <laughs> very cool, cool. Yes. So Ruth Underwood was a, one of the earliest female clergywomen in, in our conference. And legend has it that she was tipped off that this estate was up for sale. So it was the Kilmer estate who was this like snake oil salesman in our area. <laughs> he has a mansion down in Binghamton and he had this hunting lodge and estate out, out in the country. And she heard that it was coming up for sale and she went to the property and hopped the fence to check nice. it out. Um, and somehow she convinced a group of people to pool some money together and buy it themselves. And then a few months later at annual conference got the official approval to reimburse them and, and own it as UM property, which thinking about the bureaucracy and politics oh of that seems like another miracle in itself. So you know, it, it was founded by these fence hoppers, these people who are willing I love to it. Risk, oh my gosh. Go where they weren't supposed to go and, and sort of hop over the fence on faith, like knowing that this place was what they were searching for and what they wanted. Um, and then did the work of convincing everyone else that it it was the right place after the fact. So we really wanted to live into that legacy. 
Mm. Um, and then now as we gather there, we, we really feel ourselves as just another creature of the habitat. And, and we remind ourselves of that at every worship. You know, I welcome everybody saying, welcome beloved creature <laughs> to this sacred place. Um, and so we take time to notice the other creatures and life forms around us and connect with them. And at the very beginning of worship, we, as we're singing our opening song, we all go and gather something from nature and bring it forward to our altar. So every, every week the altar looks different. It's beautiful. It has all these cool things that people collect and create. And then it gets dismantled. It's, you know, it's super Buddhist in that it, it's this beautiful work of art. And then it goes back nice. to the earth. We give it back. And leave no trace, right? That's Yeah. Like, so yeah, every week yeah. it's different. And it you can see the shifting of the seasons and in, in what gets brought up to the altar. And it's just so, so important to feel that connection and that honoring of the place that holds and nurtures us. Wow. That's so Brad, I feel a road trip coming on. I, absolutely. Let's make it. Yeah. We'll do another, <laughs> we'll do another uh, Brad and Joe travel and road show. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, you, you mentioned that, about the fence topping, the legacy of fence topping. Have, have you and your congregation made the connection that you are indeed leaning? into that legacy and 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 continuing it because that's basically what you all have done is is hopped the fence uh, of institutionality right <laughs> and mm. and created the new thing so yes absolutely that's why it was so inspirational to us that story and actually this past summer we decided to just saint our own saints because why not because we can why not <laughs> and we sainted ruth underwood that pastor um and told her story and really lifted her up as someone we want to admire and venerate and and we are always pretty aware of our of our having hopped the fence because we will often have folks come and um you know sort of reflect back to us that this place is not for them <laughs> that they feel like it's really not church <laughs> and we have to we've gotten very good at saying that's that's understandable and that's okay yeah. there's a hundred churches you passed on your way here that will feel more of a good fit for you we exist for the people that don't fit into any of those churches. Yeah. Um, we really figured out early on when somebody said this to us, they said, I've always felt spiritually homeless, but this felt like coming home. So we thought, right. wow, okay, that's that's who we're here to serve, the spiritually homeless. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> so... I want to. I do kind of want to focus on that. Um, you know, when you said people came and it wasn't for them because they didn't feel like it was, you know, church in air quotes that listeners can't see me doing on Zoom. <laughs> so, what does it look like? What What does your 
you know, what does your liturgy look like? What is, what does a Sunday morning at Church in the Wild look like? Well, Sunday morning, nobody's there. Oh, not Sunday morning. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. which is amazing. I, I, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm ruined. I can't go back uh, to traditional church. Yeah. Um, we meet at 4 p.m. on Sundays, and we set up our our only property that we own are like five wooden crates that we stack on top of each other that we rescued from a store that was closing. Um, and we have a table with, you know, sign in. And then we have a couple crates with blankets and bug spray and snacks and stuff for the kids to play with. So we gather usually down near the lake so you have a beautiful view in the background. We sit in a circle because mm. uh, one of our core values is being communal. So we we want to be able to see and hear each other because our service is a lot of sharing together. I often am not the one to give the most profound <laughs> wisdom <laughs> from the circle, which is awesome. And so we start off with singing and bringing our our thing from nature to the altar and we have a poem usually to center us we hear some poem we have a somebody does like a nature connection which is kind of a similar to a children's time but okay. for everybody so some way of of how are we connecting to nature some interesting thing about a plant or animal or you know um ecosystem or something that kind of relates to the theme usually and then we hear a wisdom reading and this is probably where a lot of people feel like it's not church <laughs> because it's, it is not often from the hebrew or christian scripture gotcha every once in a while it is um once every other month or so we hear from we hear from the bible but we use modern ancient wisdom from various traditions i mean we've quoted people from anthony bourdain to tick nocton and you know like nice. like everybody has there's wisdom in so many places yeah and beekner little thoreau yeah <laughs> and right yeah. in creation so we don't limit ourselves to the wisdom that's it. out there and then we have a message which is somewhat conversational and we um, have a little time of sharing, sort of like joys and concerns, but uh, we call it celebrations and struggles. And then we go into meditation. We have a time of meditation and prayer. Nice. Um, and then we set our intentions for the week ahead and name what it is we want to focus on or like a word maybe that we'll use as a mantra or something for the week. And then we end with our, our Celtic deep peace blessing. And at some point the kids go off and play with our childcare <laughs> provider and, you know, people sort of mill around. It, to me, I think it's probably a lot like ancient worship was, or like I've experienced yeah. other traditions where people are sort of taking care of what they need to do. They might get up and walk over 
closer to the lake or lay down in the grass. You know, people are just doing what their bodies and spirits need. Mm. Yeah, as 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 you were describing that, Corey, I, it, it my thoughts were this it sounds so uh, new monastic in many ways, and it's mm. and it's very cool. I love it, along with the the, the ancient aspects of of Celtic. Uh, Celtic-informed traditions, and you guys are really worshiping in a thin place, right? Mm, it's yeah. very, very, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, not not to be too cliche, but it is so organic. Yes. It really, literally is so, yeah. um, so organic. And I, I can see why folks who come from a more kind of traditional background might struggle with that, like, lack of structure and lack of what they might consider to be traditional liturgical elements. But, um, but I love that just that freedom to be in the space and, um, and the it's, what, what, what all of that makes me think about is how your, your worship service is so less consumeristic mm. um, because of the organic way that you do it. than a lot of our traditional ones where, you know, people come in and sit in a pew and they, download a sermon, you know, or that, you know, they, they sit there and consume, um, all of these, um, elements, um, but yours sounds so much more participatory. Is that, is that an accurate statement? Yeah, we really wanted it to be focused on the community because, you know, our sort of target audience, right. Where like the nuns and duns. So people mm. who weren't going to a church who loved nature and we heard some from some folks who say like, yeah, why would I go to church? I can go for a run and listen to a podcast that's like way better than yeah, what my yeah. local church on the corner might be presenting that day. And I get to spend time in nature and, you know, that's that's sort of my spiritual practice. But what's missing from a run and a podcast is community. Yes. And yeah, yeah. We, I think this generation and that population is just it's so so lacking community we don't even realize how much we need it so that's what we really wanted to lift up and have be the sort of the point of our worship we really consider ourselves more of a missional community that you know mm -hmm. we're we're doing work in the community all the time um and so this sort of worship is yeah. is our place where we we do our inner work and our community work, our community care, um, which is actually so much more needed probably than self care, even. So we we gather, we care for one another, we talk, uh, we refuel our spirits for the work in the world. Yeah, yeah. You you talked at lead about that sort of um, the symbiosis, right? The how you all rely on nature, how nature relies on you, and then how that, um, how that kind of leaks out, I guess, into your work in the community. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like how all of those parts are interconnected. Um, and again, and one of the things that really impresses me is it's not just gathering on Sunday afternoon, you know, for, for an hour or whatever it is to consume this message, but it's really a part of a larger kind of more holistic picture for your community. Right. 
Yeah, we're we're learning so much just from being in nature and spending time together there with with our fellow earthlings. And we did a, a series uh, last year about the different types of species and what we might learn from them. Um, and you know, most people are are aware of like the keystone species that, you know, seem really important. And, and we talked about other ones, um, but the one that really inspired me that I shared about at LEAD was the engineering species who, yeah. who create environments that other species can utilize and thrive in. And, and actually some other species wouldn't exist if it wasn't for, you know, like beavers building dams and making ponds and lakes or, or the coral reef itself is a living thing. And that's where thousands of other walks of life can, can live yeah, and yeah. thrive within, you know, so we, we really utilize that as our example. And, and to me, as somebody who has raised in the church and, you know, has a Christian background. To me, that's, I hear Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And mm -hmm. as an example, here's, here are these engineering species who, who live and thrive themselves by making space for others to live and thrive. So, so that's our, our example of how we want to live and function with creation with one another, within our community, you know, just allowing space, creating safe spaces where other creatures and other people can, can thrive together. That's such a beautiful ethos for a faith community, I think. It, it, it's, to me, it speaks to the ethos of any faith community, or at least what it should be, or, or the ethos of the faith community. Uh, it's, Corey, what you just described in my mind is the core of what we call Christianity. It's creating space for our neighbors, particularly our um, forgotten neighbors, mm. to flourish and thrive. It's creating space for the flourishing of life, which is the way God intends life. Fantastic. Fantastic. Right. Yeah. Beloved community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's so, it's so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's so non-coercive, mm. right? It's a, a beaver doesn't build a dam and then go invite all of the fish to live in their pond. <laughs> Y'all smelling when I'm stepping yes. in here? That's <laughs> So you're saying beavers are not colonial. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm kind of saying that. I might be saying that out loud. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking too, as Brad was reflecting there. It's like, yeah, we're not going out saying, hey, we're going to save you. <laughs> we're, right. yeah. we're just allowing you to thrive in this safe environment that we help create. And, you know, in 
in biology, they, they found the more engineering species an ecosystem has, the more viable and full of life it is, you mm. know, and it's, it's not like there's only one that can exist and they compete with each other. Gosh, no, it's, it's so important. I mean, the prairies themselves are, are great American landscape. They've got prairie dogs, they've got buffalo, they've got um, you know, the woodpeckers and, and termites and all these different engineering species that create space for each other to be able to thrive. And, and they just make this beautiful web that cares for itself. Yeah. And we can be a part of that. That's another point that, that we, we really push against is this idea that like, humans are are the invasive species that we're the ones ruining everything and and we just need to like be wiped off the face like the, yeah. that the earth is trying to kill off humanity to save it itself i do not agree with that we have seen indigenous cultures mm -hmm. have been a part of the web of life and have cultivated and curated incredible environments you know like when when the imperialists came over to the americas they thought oh my gosh we found the promised land there's just berries growing right here and there's you know fruit trees and how this is just incredible how this all just happened ignoring the fact that native cultures curated and cultivated all the yeah. incredible um, you know, food plants and, and, and took care of their ecosystems. They were the true, you know, managers of creation that were called to be in Genesis. Like they were doing it. And, and then the Europeans came over and thought, wow, isn't this great? Let's just consume it all mm. <laughs> until it's gone. And then yeah. what happened, you know? So we really want to focus on being a part of that ecosystem and figuring out our role as, as engineer species. How can we make things better for others? Yeah, in a non-exploitative kind of way. Right. right? Just, so you had one of the things, I think you had the most tweetable statement at the lead conference <laughs> when, when you said, um, and I wrote it down, so I'm going to get it more or less the way you said it. Um, the patriarchy is the invasive species of our time. Um, Ooh, come on now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so yeah. You want to unpack that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely is. And that's what, you know, that's where I think people come from when they think humanity um, is, is the problem. We're not, it's, it's our system. It's our way of being that's been controlled by the patriarchy for hundreds of years now. Mm. That is what I see as the invasive species of our culture, of our time, that it has taken root and it's choking out everything else. Um, you know, when an invasive species uh, comes into an ecosystem, it, it seems to start small and, you know, it's sort of in the way and inconvenient and not great. But then after a while, it just chokes out all of their life. It takes over. It's only living for itself, right? It uses up all the resources mm -hmm. and it's really hard to get rid of. Really yeah. hard to get rid of. Uh, it takes 
insane amount of work to like dig out an invasive plant um, because usually their roots go really deep and you know you can cut it off and it'll sprout right back up and and so this is what I see as our as our work is rooting out as as bell hooks calls it the white supremacist imperialist yes. patriarchy mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's all it's all uh wrapped up together in this in this awful invasive um non-natural thing that has taken over our way of functioning and we really need to to root it out and you know the best way of getting rid of uh an invasive species is to burn it out Mm. (laughs) and Mm. and to kind of burn it all down uh and then and then dig out the ashes and then new life can start to flourish Yeah. Which is scary, right? And it's hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, for a lot of folks, you know, when you grow up somewhere, I remember as a kid, the the bamboo stuff, it's not real bamboo, but it like looks like bamboo. Yeah, you yeah. called it bamboo. That was all over, right? That's an invasive species. I don't even know what it actually was, but it was all over around my neighborhood. And to me, that I didn't realize that was an invasive species. I grew up with mm-hmm. it. It's I thought it was normal. <laughs> and so when you get yeah, used yeah. to this way of functioning, it can feel really scary and and hard to get rid of it. But we know it's ruining everything. So. Down down this way it's cuts by the way. That, that's <laughs> our invasive plants. Yeah. Here. Uh, and and yeah. sp- speaking of down this way, Bell Hooks, one of Appalachia's finest. Thank you for yes. We we sainted her this summer too. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, well, Corey, I, we could. I'm sure we could go on for a long time. There's so many interesting things. Um, just just the theology of what you're doing, you know, aside from the practical part of it, um, just is, is fascinating to me. Um, where do you I'm trying to think of the best way to, to kind of word this? Where, where, how do you see yourself rooted theologically? Does, does that make sense? Oh, that's, and maybe not just you, but your community. Yeah, right? That's a great question. We are rooted quite literally and figuratively in the earth. Mm-hmm. I think for a long time, in recent history, uh, the Bible, or at least Bible stories, were sort of a common language that a lot of people knew, you know, Mm -hmm. and we have a lot of like phrases and sayings even within our language today that connect to uh, scripture, like being a good Samaritan, you know, people knew those stories and it was a, a common metaphor that they could share yeah but that's yeah it's in the cultural lexicon whether you're whether you identify as christian or not right right? yeah yeah but that's not really the case anymore and it wasn't the case for most of history right it was this very Mm. short amount of time and so we had to figure out what's what's the metaphor that we have that's shared enough to be able to talk about the divine and about 
these things that we can only talk about with metaphor. And for us, it's creation. It's the earth. It's nature. Those are the things that everybody can see and experience and has, you know, has experienced. And so we use that as our common language, as our common metaphor. Mm. And I recently came across um, an online publication website called the braided way magazine and that i suddenly felt like i found the the word for what we are we're Mm. we're this this braid of of tradition um wisdom that why would we want to limit where we get wisdom from or or how much yeah. wisdom we can we can pull from all of human history so we really we braid together our our traditions our backgrounds we learn from each other we lift up various holidays from various traditions and learn from them you know i think we celebrate like or or acknowledge like five or six different new years within within the calendar year because so many different traditions mark the new year at a different time Um, and it's it's just really cool to to pause and think about oh what would it be like for this to be a new year you know right now Mm. in the spring or in the fall or what you know whenever they they happen and so it 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 leads me to have to mention Braiding Sweetgrass uh, by Robin Wall Kimmerer, who's a native biologist and, and braids her experiences together in that beautiful book. We consider it one of our sacred texts. Um, nice. and, and that's how we think of it as, as just this braid of wisdoms and traditions uh, that are, are bringing newness different perspectives and and deeper richer spiritual understandings to our Mm. lives a a braid of authenticity Uh, Mm. i i I appreciate corey your community's authenticity of being its true self and, and your authenticity um, as as a faith leader, and that that gets me to something. I just want to circle back around to something that you said right at the beginning of our time together. That um, you you didn't feel like you could be your authentic self within the confines of the traditional church. Uh, so my question is for and because I know that you are far from the only feels that way. Uh, what, what would you say to folks who are currently feeling that uh, as, as a way to uh, break free of that and, and be their authentic selves and who are looking for a way to um, be authentic and, and are feeling constrained within uh, the traditional model of church? Yeah, that is so such a great question because I too know so many clergy who really struggle with that. Mm. It's sort of like, you know, the more we learn and grow in our faith, like the more we realize we don't really know. (laughs) 
the more open and expansive we start to become. And for a lot of people that we serve in a church, they're not looking for that. They're, they're looking for something they, they can rely on, something they're used to, you know, tradition. The one thing that hasn't really changed in their lives is church where everything else has changed. So I can appreciate the tension that so many clergy feel. I've, I've felt it myself and, and, you know, wanting to, to serve their people well and to, to help them grow without pushing them out or pushing too hard. You know, you can't force too fast or too much on, on folks and their spiritual growth, but then feeling this tension of not really feeling authentic in, in their ministry or, you know, going through the motions of, of these rote prayers and liturgies and, mm-hmm. and not, not feeling the true essence of, of what it can be there in a, in a spiritual life and practice. So my advice, cause I also know people got to, got to, eat and work and pay their bills and you can't just like go start a wild church necessarily or or whatever it might be but there are people in every church that are thinking some of the same things you might be mm-hmm. there are people with questions um and and we shouldn't be afraid of questions right mm-hmm. there are people there who want to go deeper, who want to expand, who want to hear that you might have questions too as a pastor or that, you know, you've come to a different understanding of some of this traditional stuff. There are people looking for that in your church. And I, I wouldn't necessarily preach it, but in Bible studies and stuff, we, we got to some really, uh, pushing the boundary places um, that was actually really helpful to folks, you know, to, like so many people would say like, I worry about my Jewish friends. Like, are they going to hell? <laughs> like, okay. Yikes. You want to hear about universalism? <laughs> <laughs> you know? <it's, laughs> yeah. And so some people would push yeah. back in Bible study, but that's what Bible study is about, right? You get it. You talk about and you say, what if, what about this? Well, what about that? So there's places for it within traditional ministry and, oh my gosh, folks, just find something or some group of non-church people. Yes. Get out of the box. And I found myself stuck in that box for a couple of years and I just needed to start hearing new language. And, and, you know, different perspectives and different analogies. And as soon as I got out with non-church people, I discovered a depth of spirituality. You know, these are folks who had to figure out their own spiritual life and, and do their own spiritual practices. 
so all these people that, you know, the church is bemoaning have left and not come back after COVID and, you know, they just want to sleep in on Sundays. Yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> we work ourselves to the bone. Yeah. We want, we need a day where we can just lounge around in the morning. Amen. <laughs> these folks have incredible spiritual lives just because somebody isn't in church on a Sunday morning, at least once a month, doesn't mean that they do not have a connection to the creator or uh, spiritual beliefs. And they have a lot to teach us. And we have a lot to learn from them. So find ways of meeting those people. They're not going to come into your building for any incredible program or service or whatever like they're probably never going to show up so you got to go go to the bar go I don't know to the park like go somewhere and just start talking to these people and you know don't make it a ministry don't make it a program necessarily but just find ways of connecting with folks who aren't in your congregation yeah such good stuff. Corey, I wish we had another hour, honestly, because um, <laughs> I've got 96 more questions I want to ask you. Um, but I think Brad and I are just going to have to come up and um, and visit Windsor and um, yeah. see it for ourselves. So here, here. Um, you can, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can stay there. They have rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, trust me. I, I've Googled it. <laughs> I've looked it up. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you got anything, um, anything cooking with, with Church in the Wild? Anything new coming up? Yeah, we got we we always got stuff cooking. We got free laundry night coming up at the end of the month. We're planning a big Earth Day celebration, cleanup, buy nothing markets, um, you know, all kinds of solidarity work in our community. And and one of the things I'm excited about being able to share um, now that I'm a little bit farther down this path. I want to be able to sort of be a trail guide for others who are interested in this work. So I'm offering coaching for anybody who's uh, feeling the call of the wild spirit um, to, to plant or start a, a wild church. Obviously I'm two years in and still learning and growing, <laughs> but like I said, I, I'm, I'm down the trail a little ways and can, can help folks get started for figuring out what type of wild community fits their uh, mm. location, their place, their environment, and and the people there. That's so cool. I, you know, I think there's something about that, like not being too far down the path before mm. you start helping others. Um, because, you know, the further you get, the more kind of entrenched you become in your ideas. And But you're still at that point where you're discovering things together, even as you're coaching and helping others. You know, they're they're also bringing insights that you're still open to. Right. Oh, because, yeah. Um, because you're not so like embedded there. Yeah. I still so, remember you know. the, the the start of the trail and how it went. and not too far. Yeah. That I've forgotten. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Well, where where can people find out about Church of the Wild and, and if they want to make contact with you, how how can they uh how can they track you? Yeah, down? it's super easy. Churchinthewild.org. 
everything's there. You can find connections to our social media from our website. You can listen to our worship podcast. You can find my email. Um, it's all there. Fantastic. But yeah, I've, I've spent a little time on your website and um, I continue to be intrigued and fascinated. And um, so I'm grateful, grateful that you're doing the work. Grateful for you being with us uh, for this episode of the podcast, Corey. Um, any, any last words, Brad? Any, uh, just, any final closing questions? Just, or? just thankful to be with Corey today, to have Corey join us. And uh, uh, yeah, it's been fantastic seeing you again, my friend, and, and, and hearing from you. Thank you. Great stuff. Well, thanks again, Corey, for being with us. And uh, maybe we'll do it again. Yeah. Um, it, it, there's a lot more to dig into. And um, and I think I think the folks are going to enjoy hearing about you. And um, yeah, maybe you'll inspire somebody else to get out there and start that journey. So thanks again for being with us. Uh, always great to talk to you, my friend. Thank you. Thanks again to Corey for sharing her story with us and for such a fascinating insight into what an alternative kind of faith community can look like. If you have any feedback on this episode or if you have suggestions for future topics or guests, please reach out to us on one of our social media pages. Just do a search for Accidental Tomatoes on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and you can find us there or you can email us at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. As always, you can find every episode of the podcast and articles related to faith and deconstruction on our website, accidentaltomatoes.com. And so until next time, my friends, keep on growing outside the fences and join us for another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.